this uh, this week my wife and I were eating dinner together and um, we were having a little bit of a conflict between the two of us and uh, while we were in this conflict I kind of laughed and she looked at me and I said you know what topic Jeff gave me for this week she said no what and I said uh, resolving conflict and she said well you better figure it out in a hurry <laughs> resolving conflict is our topic today and uh, I agree with author D- Derek Kidner who writes about Proverbs he says the samples of behavior held up to view in Proverbs are all assessed by one question is this wisdom or folly is this wisdom or folly the writers of Proverbs, Solomon included, had a lot to say about what you say, your mouth, your lips, your tongue, over 150 times. 31 chapters, that's almost five times per chapter he has something to say about what you say and how you say it. Are you wise or are you foolish? That's what the Proverbs do for us. They help us to be able to look and to be able to understand, is what I'm doing wise or foolish. So this morning, uh, we are going to discover if we are wise or foolish when it comes to resolving conflict, taking care of problems. Are we being a wise person or a foolish person? So let's look at three reminders about conflict that will help us be wise in resolving those conflicts. Three reminders about conflict that will help us be wise in solving conflicts. Now, there are a number of scriptures this morning, and I have only given the the table three of them, but I'm going to mention many more. And so what what I would like for you to do is to write them down and then take time to look at them through uh, the rest of the week. Uh, But just stay with me now because I will tell you the reference and I will read you the verse and we will go through them together that way. But I didn't want you to feel overwhelmed by, you know, trying to look at the screen and listen and all that. So hopefully we can get through this and you will be able to take something home with you that will be, be valuable to you in this area of conflict resolution. So anyway, three reminders. The first reminder is conflict is inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. Now, now think about it for just a moment. When we look at history and we see all the wars and problems, we say, well, yeah, we've seen the conflicts. When you look at nature, you begin to say, yeah, there's conflict in nature between man and nature. Uh, I, I'm having a conflict right now with a deer who wants to eat my cabbage. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not looking at that deer as Bambi anymore. I'm looking at him as venison. So uh, I'm not very happy with that. But there's conflict, as you can imagine. So conflict is inevitable in, in things about uh, around us, in nature, in history, and things. But also in our own lives, there is conflict. Conflict in uh, a marriage, conflict in employment. Uh, what I do normally is I teach school. And um, there seems to be this uh, inevitable conflict between me and students that choose to use their cell phones during class. There is an inevitable conflict there. I always tell them, as long as it doesn't interfere with learning, I don't mind if they use their cell phone. But the conflict, there are conflicts all around it. Uh, Conflicts are inevitable. Uh, I was uh, recently, in May, I took a group of CHCA students to Chicago, and uh, we went to Chicago, and uh, during the day we would tour the city of Chicago, and then in the evening we would work at an after-school ministry 
uh, called By the Hand, and we would work with uh, students in kind of a rough area of Chicago and help them tutoring and all those kinds of things. And one of the things that we did as tourists during the day is we got on a, a boat and did a Chicago River tour where you learn about the architecture of, of Chicago, and they tell and talk about that. And I was on this uh, boat, and I was on the railing, holding onto the railing and listening to the guy uh, talk about the architecture. And some guy walks up to me, and he launches into this attack on John Calipari, the University of Kentucky, Carl Anthony Towns and how he shouldn't be the first-round draft pick, and Julio Okafor and Duke, how they do it. I'm just standing there. <laughs> it's just... And then I realized I was wearing my blue University of Kentucky fleece. And, and he took it as a bullseye that he should start attacking. I, didn't even, I wasn't even looking for that. But conflict comes because of whatever reason uh, is on someone's mind. But it seems to be inevitable. One of my favorite preachers is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He preached in London during the 19th century at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And uh, I love to read him. I, I love to read his sermons. And there's a story that is told about Spurgeon. And it's one of those things where you're like, well, I'm glad to, to hear that he had problems too. Uh, because, you know, people didn't always agree with what he was doing. And there was conflict, even amidst his greatness. There was one time uh, Spurgeon had this habit in his sermon. He would oftentimes break out into this expression. He would break out into this expression where he would say, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. And he would repeat that uh, and use it in his sermons. One time he, he launched into that and he says, nothing in my hand I bring only to the cross I cling. And someone that was in the, the audience took out a piece of paper and they wrote one word on the piece of paper, folded it up, handed it to the usher and said, give this to Pastor Spurgeon. So Spurgeon on the platform opens the note and sees it, goes up to the podium and he begins to share. And he says, you know, I get all kinds of notes from people complaining about things in the church. And he says, this is the first time anyone has signed it. And there was one word and it was fool. <laughs> When we consider and think about conflict, it's inevitable. We're going to have conflict. Uh, the reason we have conflict is very easily explained by one word, and that one word is sin. There is sin in the world, and because there is sin in the world, there is conflict. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 25, it says this, uh, The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. In Proverbs 28, verse 26, it says, Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Conflict comes because of sin. Uh, whether you are greedy or whether you are prideful in yourself, it creates conflicts and problems. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 14, it says, He who plots evil in his heart, he always stirs up conflict. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 18, it says, Six things the Lord hates, seven are detestable to him, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Sin creates conflict. Sin creates conflict. Now, this morning, there is uh, something that you need to uh, uh, understand about conflict. And the conflict is that it, it, it will happen. It is inevitable. As much as we would like to romanticize, as much as we would like to think I'm going to be different, Conflict comes. We would love to be able to say, you know, my marriage, we will never have problems. Then that means you're living alone, right? Conflict is inevitable in life. It is a part of what happens. So the first reminder is conflict is inevitable. The second reminder is that the wrong responses are inflammatory. 
the wrong responses are inflammatory. Too many times, the way that we have learned or the way that we handle conflict is what we have seen, right? What we have observed. Well, my dad used to do this. Or my mother was, and and that's how we learned how to resolve conflict. Or you say, I know how I am, and so therefore you put that on to whomever or whatever. And sometimes those wrong responses, instead of solving the conflict, only inflame it. Now, there are several wrong responses. Uh, Perhaps you have heard of some of them. One of them is the Alaskan method. Have you heard of the Alaskan method? The Alaskan method is I'm, I'm just going to isolate and ignore and uh, bury it under the snow and ice, and hopefully it'll go away. We'll just freeze it out and freeze that person or that thing. Just freeze it out and, and try to make sure that it doesn't come back. Or perhaps uh, you're, you're like me. Have, have you, uh, do you have this channel on your TV? It's called MeTV. You heard of this? They show these old shows. And I've been watching this old show called Wanted Dead or Alive. It's with Steve McQueen. He plays a bounty hunter, Josh Randall, who is, you know, in the West and doing all this kind of stuff. And sometimes that's the way that we solve problems like they did in the Old West, you know. All right, everybody pull your guns and just start firing away. Or we go into the saloon and we kick over tables and we throw chairs and we break glass and we break bottles and and we all feel better about it in the end. That really doesn't work, does it? We just fire away and we hope that it works. Proverbs says this in Proverbs 29:22: An angry person stirs up conflict. A hot-tempered person commits many sins. Fire away. Blast your way. Doesn't always work. Another method perhaps you've heard of is the Houdini method. There's conflict. And so like Houdini, you're going to find a way to escape. Uh, You know, you're looking for the trap door or you're looking for the hidden key or you're going to regurgitate the code or whatever it is. And you're going to find a way to escape. And the way you escape is through uh, alcohol or drugs or pornography or or something else. And you escape the conflict by by the Houdini method. So really, it doesn't work because you have to come back. Even if you try to escape, you have to come back. And when you come back, the problem or the conflict is still there. Or perhaps you have uh, heard of the heavy bag method. The heavy bag method of handling problems or conflict. Uh, These are the methods that have been employed by such uh, sports luminaries as Ray Rice, Hope Solo, Brittany Griner, Greg Hardy. They believe that the way to settle an issue is to punch somebody, to knock them down, to exert your force and your strength over them. Proverbs says this in Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. The heavy bag method is to exert my physicality and to prove that I'm bigger and stronger, and so therefore I'm in control. You've got a problem? I'm bigger than you. I'll bring you down. That method does not work either. It only creates more problems. Or or perhaps uh, you've heard of the retriever method of dealing with problems. We used to have a a golden retriever. Her name was Beckett. And she would always meet you at the door with something in her mouth. Whether it was a shoe, a tennis ball, or some toy, whatever it was. She'd always meet you in our house at the top of the stairs and she'd have something in her mouth. 
And, and many times you'd, you'd get to the top of the stairs and she'd have something and you'd go, wow, I'd forgotten all about that. Where'd you find that? Well, that's the retriever method in solving conflicts, right? You have a problem that you want to discuss and then the person with whom you have the problem, they go, oh, wait, remember when? And they grab something and retrieve it and bring it into this and say, yeah, but you did this. It's the retriever method of dealing with conflict. Instead of saying, okay, let's deal with this issue right here. Well, I remember in 1994, you said this. And that's the retriever method. It doesn't work. It's not successful. It's not the way that Scripture would have us to do it. And finally, you know, this is not an exhaustive list of wrong ways to respond, but have you heard of the Jimmy Malone method of handling conflict? Jimmy Malone was one of the guys that helped Elliot Ness bring down Al Capone. And he was kind of uh, glamorized in the movie, The Untouchables. His character was played by Sean Connery. And uh, Elliot Ness meets with Jimmy Malone and says, you know, I want to get Al Capone. And Jimmy Malone says, you want to get Al Capone? This is how you get Al Capone. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. So the Jimmy Malone method of handling conflict is, okay, you want to talk about dinner tonight? Well, I want to talk about how you crashed the car. I want to talk about something bigger so that I can smash you and keep you in line. So the Jimmy Malone method is, you pull a knife, I've got a gun. You hurt me a little bit, I'm sending you to the morgue. It's this idea of I can do something bigger and therefore it will resolve the conflict. It never does. It never does. One piece of advice that was given to me one time was uh, a guy that said he always gets the last word in his marriage. I said, really, is that true? And he goes, yeah. He says, I always say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> what does that solve? We want to not be a part of methods that the world seems to think are okay. We want to be a part of methods that fit with who we are. So therefore, we remember that Conflict is inevitable. We re remember that the wrong responses are inflammatory. And so the third reminder is a scriptural response is invaluable. A scriptural response is invaluable. That's why we're in Proverbs, right? We're in the Psalms and we're the Proverbs, the pithy statements, the poems, the poetry, the marvelous writing that is done by the wisest man in all of the world, Solomon, and, and the man who experienced a, a compliment that said he is a man after God's own heart, David, who wrote many. We want to hear from them and understand what they have to say. But the reason we want to hear from them is because of who we are. You see, we aren't looking at these as just a collection of marvelous pieces of advice. Instead, we are looking at them as who we are. We are Christians, followers of Christ, who want to hear a word from God. And so, therefore, we go to the word of God to get a word from God. And we're hopeful that as a result of going to the Word of God, we are able to come up with a plan that will help us to resolve conflict. Now, this morning, a scriptural response is invaluable. And we need to start with an understanding of the greatest conflict facing you today. The greatest conflict facing you, and not all of you, but some of you this morning, the greatest conflict facing you is the conflict between you and God. Now, some of you have resolved that conflict. The great conflict between you and God is that you have sinned. And so as a result, there is this huge separation between man and God. And that separation has to be solved. Now, some of you have solved that. How did you solve it? You solved it by trusting in Jesus Christ, right? 
Because it is Jesus Christ who bridges the gap between man and God and brings us into a right relationship so we don't have any conflict anymore. So if we're going to have a starting point for conflict resolution, it's to look at the example of Jesus Christ. What has Jesus Christ done for me that allows me to help solve conflict with others? Now, if you'll hang with me, we will get to the book of Proverbs, and I'll give you some very practical things. But can we look at kind of a a, a theological understanding of who we are in the person of Christ and and take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1? And this is a reminder. I'm not telling you anything new. But hopefully as a result of reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ, it will then help us to resolve conflicts uh, more equitably and more carefully. So uh, the, the first thing that we do is we look at Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. In him, that's Jesus Christ, uh, having, we have redemption. We have been bought. We have been purchased. We have been redeemed. Now, what have we been redeemed from? Well, we've been redeemed from sin. He has bought us from sin. Uh, You see, what happens is uh, redemption is an act by which God himself pays a ransom, his son, Jesus Christ, to set us free from this horrible thing known as sin. It's redemption to purchase In redemption, the sinner stands before God as a slave. But then because of what Jesus Christ did, and when we accept what Jesus Christ did in making payment, then we are now sons and daughters. So we're no longer slaves. Now, the people here would understand that. And when Paul talks about slavery, everyone knew slavery. Six million slaves in the Roman Empire. Everybody knew what it was. And everyone knew that you could go to a slave market and buy a slave And you could set that slave free because you paid a price. And so when they read this, they understand. We need to understand that we were once slaves to sin, but because of what Jesus Christ did in dying for us, we are now sons. So we've been set free from sin. But notice it goes farther than that. It says we have redemption through his blood. That's talking about the death of Christ. The forgiveness of sins. Now, this word forgiveness is the idea of to cancel a debt. Uh, Sometimes there would be wrangling in court and there would be a judgment that would say, you don't owe that person anymore. Your debt has been canceled. So we, in forgiveness, the sinner stands before God as a debtor. And when he stands before God as a debtor, he says, wait, Jesus Christ died for me. And God says, okay, your debt has been canceled. Now now stay with me and hopefully I'll I'll be able to tie this all together uh, for you. But we need to understand who we are. We are those that were once slaves. We're now sons. We are those that were once in so much debt we couldn't pay it, but now we have been set free from that debt. We have been forgiven. We have this position in Christ. God doesn't hold your sins against you. God doesn't hold a grudge. Think about the retriever method. God never says, what are you doing here again? I've already forgiven that before. Remember? He doesn't do that. And so he says, welcome to the mercy and grace that I have for you. So do you begin to kind of see how knowing who you are and the position that you have in Christ, how that makes a difference in conflict resolution? Think about this as well. This idea of forgiveness and redemption, we have a clean slate, right? Have you, have you heard that expression? It's a 19th century expression that had two uses. One was in school. The students would have a, a, a piece of slate 
and they would write their lessons with a piece of chalk on the slate, and then at the end of the day, they would erase their slate, and the next morning, they would start with a clean slate. Or you would uh, go home and, uh, or go visit a pub, and in the pub, they would uh, write down, okay, he has a sandwich, that's $4, he's got something to drink, that's $3, and they would total it up at the end of the night and say, okay, you owe $7, you would pay the $7, and then they would erase your slate, and you would have a clean slate. So what happens is sometimes in conflict resolution is we say, you know what? I have so much junk in my life. You don't know what my childhood was like. You don't know what my, I don't, you're right. I don't, but I know this, that when you go to the cross, you experience the redemption and the forgiveness that comes in Christ. And he says, here's your clean slate. So in conflict resolution, you're starting with a clean slate when you start with Jesus Christ and the redemption that he brings to you. You start with a clean slate when you start with Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he gives to you. So all of a sudden, when you enter into conflict, you are entering into an understanding of what Christ has done for you. So how can you not do that for someone else? Oh, I'll never forgive that person. Well, wait, didn't Jesus Christ forgive you? Yeah, but you, they scratched my car. I'll never forgive them for that. Okay, wait, Jesus Christ forgave you. So can you not forget, see how it kind of changes your perspective? The things that we hold and think are so much, so let's fight, all of a sudden they don't look so big of a deal, do they? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. So the starting point in conflict resolution is Jesus Christ. Now, now think about this, and we talked about this in the first service. About a month ago, South, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Dylan Roof sits in a Bible study for an hour stands up at the end and begins to fire away, killing nine people, leaving one person alive so that they could bear witness to what he had done. So the, the revolution starts, right? And then Dylan Roof is, is uh, being uh, arraigned in court, and the survivors of the shooters, what Dylan Roof? Do you remember? I forgive you. Wait a minute. There should be huge conflict. There should be huge problems. This guy, unrepentantly, standing there, he was the one that felt the weight of the gun in his hand, the buck of the gun as it fired time after time to bring down their loved ones, and all they can say is, I forgive you? Shouldn't there be riots? Shouldn't there be major problems and conflict? The pastor who held the service the following Sunday said this. He said, we're not people who fight. We are people of faith. We know about forgiveness. One, one writer, he said this, he says, you know, I'm not a Christian, but he says, that's the greatest advertisement for Christianity ever. <laughs> I forgive you. How can you resolve conflict? By oftentimes remembering how much you've been forgiven, how much Jesus Christ has done for you. And because of that, that's your starting point. And you say, I forgive. And it creates opportunity instead of problem. The scriptural responses. Proverbs 11, chapter 18 says this, The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. You see, sin separates us from a peaceful relationship with God. Jesus pays the price, and we have peace with God. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified, having been saved by faith, we have peace with God. You see, the, the way that you can have peace with others is when you have peace with God. Psalm 119, 165 said this, Great peace 
have those who love your word and nothing can make them stumble. Psalm 34:14 it says turn from evil and do good seek peace and pursue it. You see peace is the goal. We're not looking for a truce. Oftentimes the reason why people have truces is so they can relo- reload their guns, right? <laughs> Instead we want peace. We want to say you know what we have resolved the conflict. We have overcome the sin that was separating us, that was creating this problem between us. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 20 says this, The Lord detests those whose hearts are perverse, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. How can I be blameless? I can be blameless because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. Now please listen, and and I hope you understand this. When we engage Jesus Christ in our relationship, we do not become perfect. It's not what I'm telling you. But instead, we become progressive. We, instead of saying, you know what, that's the way I am, that's the way I... Instead, we're progressing. We're saying, you know what, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like him in conflict resolution, in anything else. Think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the kid's story you've heard a hundred times, right? He was hated, he was despised, he was an extortionist, he was a cheater, he was a liar. And all of that changed dramatically. When? When he met Jesus. When he met Jesus, his life changed. This morning, once you meet Jesus Christ, your life changes forever. Because that's the starting point for conflict resolution. We need to have a place where we start. And that is with Jesus Christ. So that's our starting point. Now, can I give you a couple of things that are just kind of uh, uh, biblical truths that Proverbs teaches us? And I think maybe they will help in terms of conflict, conflict resolution. And I think these apply to anything. I'm not just talking about husbands and wives. Or, it, it can apply to every area of life, whether it's employment, whether it's uh, family, you know, uh, spouses and children, what, whatever it is. Uh, hopefully these things can apply. Uh, one of the things is to, to be a listener. Be a listener. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11 says this, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. A listener, just being calm, allowing the person to express their opinion first. You see, in the uh, uh, wanted dead or alive method, man, we've got our guns blazing. Who pulled their gun the fastest? That's what we're impressed with. That's not biblical. What is biblical is for us to say, you know what, let's just, just wait here. Let's listen. Let's hear what's going on. Try to understand it. Socrates, the great Greek philosopher, he was a, a great teacher. And one of the things that he taught was oratory. He would teach men how to speak because, of course, in, in the Greek culture, it was a great thing to be a statesman and to be a spokesperson and to, to talk in the, the forum and things like that. And one young man came to Socrates and introduced himself to Socrates for Socrates to teach him oratory. And the guy starts talking and he talked through the whole lesson. Socrates didn't say anything. The guy talked the whole time. Finally, the lesson comes to the end, and Socrates says, I'm going to have to charge you double. And the guy said, why are you going to charge me double? And he says, because I have to teach you two sciences, one, how to listen, and one, how to speak. Sometimes we forget how important listening is. Uh, Listening, being slow and calm. Uh, The second thing that is kind of just uh, practical advice that I think is uh, demonstrated for us here in Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 17, verse 14. And that is you choose your conflict. You choose your conflict. Proverbs 17:14 says this, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Or Proverbs 14:16. 
The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. You may not want to rush in. You may not want to be involved in that conflict. You may want to say, you know what, I think I'm going to uh, not engage. Like I'm, I'm standing on a boat in Chicago, and a guy comes up and accosts me verbally about something that I had nothing to do with. So I grab him by the seat of the pants and throw him overboard, right? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not going to engage. What, who cares? I have nothing in this fight. There's nothing for me. He was wrong, but that's not here or there. <laughs> right? I mean, choose your fights. I, I, I have had the, the blessing and opportunity. I was telling the people in the first service this. I've had two careers, one as a pastor and now as a school teacher. You know, not the right careers to choose if you, if you don't want conflict, right? I mean, it's amazing uh, what people get conflicted about. You know, I, I was in one church, and, and I could not take the business meetings. Yet I was the guy that was supposed to be in charge of them. So what I did was uh, I started setting up a stool in the corner of the platform, and I would go sit on that stool, and I let the deacons come up and take it all. Because <laughs> people just wanted to argue about stuff. It's like, what, what, what? I was telling him in the first service, you know, I love email. Email has opened up so much courage for everyone, right? Makes people so courageous, they come at you. And I told him in the first service, I love when emails, uh, as a teacher, when they start like this, who do you think you are? <laughs> Listen, that's not the problem. <laughs> I know who I am. I think you've got the problem, right? Or I love it when they list their credentials. I had a, a, a parent send me an email one time, and they listed all their credentials at the bottom. You know, they, were, they had a BA from here and an MS from here and a PhD from there, and they had learned how to speak Pig Latin. I don't remember what all, but, I mean, they listed all these things, and they said something. And so it was great to be able to take the bottom part of that email and say to them, well, you're so gifted, why don't you just take care of the problem? I mean, what's, what's conflict? It's real. It's there. And, and sometimes you just have to pick what it is that you're going to be involved with. Everything isn't worth fighting for. That needs to be an understanding. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says this, Consider the reality that you cannot stop people's tongues from wagging, and so sometimes the best thing is to stop your own ears and never mind what is spoken. I told him in the first service that the next parent-teacher conference, I'm going to do this. Okay, talk away. No, I'd lose my job, right? But anyway, you get the idea, right? Choose. Tacitus, who was a senator and historian of Rome, he said this to a man who was yelling and screaming at them. He said this. He says, you are Lord of your tongue, but I am master of my ears. Choose the conflicts. Choose the conflicts. And remember, as you enter into conflicts, who you are in Christ makes a huge difference. Because if you are approaching it graciously, kindly, mercifully, all of those things that God has done for us through Jesus Christ, it makes the approach differently. It makes the whole situation a, a different kind of setting. Conflict is inevitable. Uh, wrong responses is inflammatory. But a scriptural response is invaluable. The other thing is be proactive. Sometimes in, in conflict resolution, if we would just turn our speech, our speech from destructive speech to constructive speech, it would eliminate a lot of different problems, wouldn't it? It would eliminate a lot of the conflict. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 and 21 says this, From the fruit of their mouth a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips they are satisfied. 
The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The power of life and death. Don't you want to use your words to create life? Don't you want to use your words to encourage, to build up, to make it so that the conflicts aren't going to be around because we're encouraging each other? We have a spirit and an atmosphere of encouragement. It says this in Proverbs uh, Proverbs 15, verse 1. It says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, A reckless Uh, Reckless words pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Be proactive. Be constructive in your speech. And and know the difference between private and public encouragement. Public encouragement. I stand up here and I say to you, man, what a great job by the worship band. Everyone's like, yeah, we all, we we know that. We all experience that. But I begin to talk specifically about one person in the band. It gets a little awkward. You're like, Maybe you should tell them on the side by themselves. So it, 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 it seems disingenuous, doesn't it, to say, okay, I'm going to boldly print on my Twitter account or on my Facebook how wonderful my wife is. How about just going to her and saying that? How about just privately saying to her, I, I love you for all you do and all you are, instead of making it seem like, you know what? I better say this loud enough so everyone knows how much it doesn't move. If the relationship is right, everything is right. Encouraging encouraging. Uh, he also says in Proverbs, he talks about timing your words. Look at Proverbs fifteen twenty three. It said, a man finds joy in apt reply and how good is a timely word. How many times have you encouraged someone and they say, boy, I really needed that today. Boy, I really needed that. I needed to hear that. Thanks for saying that. Being positive, taking destructive speech and making it constructive, making it so that things work for you in a way that pleases God, in a way that he is seen to be reflected in your life. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're saying this. You're saying, hey, what about my feelings? What about how I feel? 21st century America, feelings, we need to really look at this issue because all of a sudden how I feel is the most important thing. Uh, do this this week. Keep track of how many times someone leads what they're going to say to you with this. I feel like. Just notice that. Is there anything wrong with that? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying feelings are really a big deal now in 21st century America. How I feel. You know, I feel like, and so therefore I should be. I feel like a Navajo Indian, so I should get gaming profits from the casinos. Because I feel it doesn't work that way, right? So what about my feelings, you're saying this morning? You know, when I've been wrong, when when there is conflict, my feelings need to be taken into account. They do. You need to admit them. You need to understand them. But more importantly, you need to bring your feelings under the tutelage of the Word of God. And so if your feelings run contrary to what God's Word says, then your feelings mean nothing. Are you allowed to say that? Tutelage, teaching... What does God's word say? My feelings, are they important? Are they true? I don't know. Check them against what God's word says. So when we talk about feelings, make sure that you're, you're keeping track of what God's word says. And then finally, the last, last thing, when there is conflict, when it's more than what you can handle, uh, seek help, seek friends. And notice what 
Proverbs 11, verse 14 says, it says, For lack of guidance, a nation fails, but many advisors make victory sure. Get some help. Ask someone. You say, you know what? I, I, we can't solve this ourselves. Let's get someone. And, and I said this in the first service, and I, I don't mean any disrespect to anyone, but the person to whom you turn for advice is not the person who has watched the most episodes of Dr. Phil or Oprah. It's not the person. Okay? Remember who you are. What was our starting point? Our starting point was we are redeemed. We are forgiven. God has brought us into a peaceful relationship as a result of what Jesus Christ did in dying for us on the cross. So to whom will I turn to get help? A person who is redeemed, forgiven, and understands what the word of God says. And I will say to them, I need help. And, and, and that's biblical. That's a scriptural response that is invaluable. And, and again, you know, I'm standing up here. I've spent a whole week in this, immersed in this. And, all, and, and sometimes as a result of the familiarity with it, you know, I preached at first sermon service. I'm preaching at second sermon. Sometimes it might come off as a little too rote and too flip. And I, I, I'm sorry for that. But what I want you to understand, I know that it takes courage to resolve conflict. I know that it takes perseverance. Some of you are in the middle of con, uh, conflict now, and you're saying, you know what, it, you make it sound easy. I'm, I, I, I apologize for that. I'm not trying to make it sound easy. I'm trying to make it sound like it can be solved. That's what I'm trying to do. And it may take time and hard work, but it can be solved in a scriptural, biblical way when we understand what it is that is available, available to us. Remember this morning to solve conflict like a wise man. Remember that conflict is inevitable, that the wrong responses are inflammatory, and the scriptural response is invaluable. One of the longest-running feuds in the history of America, the Hatfields and McCoys, right? West Virginia and Kentucky. They would like for us to think that this, this uh, feud between these two families began over uh, the South and the Union and slavery and states' rights and all of those things. But there are some historians that say this. It started because of a dispute over a pig. <laughs> and then it became this historic feud that everyone's, oh, the Hatfield, oh, yeah, yeah. Finally, they solved it, you know, because they, they, the Hatfields and McCoys, their descendants were on family feud, so everything's okay now. But think about that. The reason why for over 100 years we fought and argued with each other, killing a half a dozen people of our family, was over a pig. Consider this morning what it is that God has done for you and then decide what it is that you should engage for his glory and for his honor. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for those that are here this morning that uh, took the time to get up and to make the effort to be here. And Lord, we ask that you would reward them with uh, something from your word this morning. Reward them with, with something that will make their life more pleasing to you as they go through their week. Lord, allow your word to become the stepping stones to move from perhaps, perhaps conflict to resolution. But Lord, please, uh, we ask that your spirit take the word of God and put it into the hearts of those here and make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.